Chapter Twelve of the Indian Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Indian Fairy Book by Henry R. Schoolcraft. Chapter Twelve. Sheem, the Forsaken Boy. On a certain afternoon, the sun was falling in the west and in the midst of the ruddy silence a solitary lodge stood on the banks of a remote lake one sound only broke in the least degree the forest stillness the low breathing of the dying inmate of the lodge who was the head of a poor family his wife and children surrounded the buffalo robe on which he lay of the children two were almost grown up a daughter and a son the other was a boy and a mere child in years all the skill of the household in simple medicines was exhausted, and they stood watching now, awaiting the departure of the spirit. As one of the last acts of kindness, the skin door of the lodge had been thrown back to admit the fresh air of the evening. The poor man felt a momentary return of strength, and raising himself a little, he addressed his family. "'I leave you,' he said, "'in a world of care, in which it has required all my strength and skill to supply you food.' and to protect you from the storms and cold of a harsh climate. He cast his eyes upon his wife and continued, For you, my partner in life, I have less sorrow, because I am persuaded you will not remain long behind me. But you, my children, my poor and forsaken children, who have just begun the career of life, who will shelter you from calamity? Listen to my words. Unkindness, ingratitude, and every wickedness are in the outside world. It was for this that years ago I withdrew from my kindred and my tribe to spend our days in this lonely spot. I have contented myself with the company of your mother and yourselves during seasons of very frequent scarcity and want, while your kindred, feasting in plenty, have caused the forest to echo with the shouts of successful war. I gave up these things for the enjoyment of peace. I wished to hide you away from the bad examples which would have spoiled your innocence. I have seen you, thus far, grow up in purity of heart. If we have sometimes suffered bodily want, we have escaped pain of mind. We have not been compelled to look on or to take part with the red hand in scenes of rioting and bloodshed. My path now stops. I have arrived at the brink of the world. I will shut my eyes in peace if you, my children, will promise me to cherish each other. Let not your mother suffer during the few days that are left to her, and I charge you on no account to forsake your younger brother. Of him I give you both my dying command to have a tender care. He spoke no more, and as the sun fell out of view, the light had gone from his face. The family stood still, as if they expected to hear something further, but when they came to his side and called him by name, his spirit did not answer. It was in another world. The mother and daughter lamented aloud, but the elder son clothed himself in a mantle of silence and took his course as though nothing had occurred. He exerted himself to supply, with his bow and net, the wants of the little household, but he never made mention of his father. Five moons had filled and waned, and the sixth was near its full, when the mother also died. In her last moment she begged them to fulfill their father's wish. The winter passed and the spring, sparkling in the clear northern air, cheered the spirits of the lonely little people in the lodge. The girl, being the eldest, directed her brothers, and she seemed to feel a tender and sisterly affection for the youngest, who was slight of frame 
and of a delicate temper. The other boy soon began to break forth with restless speeches, which showed that his spirit was not at ease. One day he addressed his sister as follows. My sister, are we always to live as if there were no other human beings in the world? Must I deprive myself of the pleasure of mingling with my own kind? I have determined this question for myself. I shall seek the villages of men, and you cannot prevent me. The sister replied, I do not say no, my brother, to what you desire. We are not forbidden the society of our fellow mortals, but we are told to cherish each other and to do nothing that shall not be agreeable to all our little household. Neither pleasure nor pain ought, therefore, to separate us, especially from our younger brother, who, being but a child and weakly withal, is entitled to a double share of our affection. If we follow our separate fancies, it will surely make us neglect him, whom we are bound to support by vows both to our father and mother. The young man received this address in silence, still took his course, as though nothing out of the ordinary way had occurred, and after a while seemed to recover his spirits. Now, as they lived in a large country, where there were open fields, the two brothers often amused themselves in playing ball. One afternoon Owasso, the elder brother, chose the ground near to a beautiful lake, and they played and laughed with great spirit, and the ball was seldom allowed to touch the ground. In this lake there happened to harbor a wicked old manito, Mishosha by name. He looked at the brothers as they played, and was vastly pleased with their nimbleness and beauty. He thought to himself, What shall I do to get these lads to accompany me? I know one of them shall hit the ball sideways, and it shall fall into my canoe. It so happened, and it somehow seemed, as if Owasso had purposely given the ball that direction. But when he saw the old man, he professed to be greatly surprised, as the other, Sheem, by name, was in truth, for he had not noticed the old manito before. "'Bring the ball to us,' they both cried out. "'Come to the shore.' "'No,' answered the old magician. He, however, came near enough for either of them to wait out to him. "'Come, come,' he said. "'Come and get your ball.' They insisted that he should come ashore, but this he sturdily declined to do. "'Very well,' said Owasso. "'I will go and get it.' And he ran into the water." "'Hand it to me,' he said, when he approached near enough to receive it. "'Ha!' answered the manito. "'Reach over and get it yourself.' Owasso was about to grasp the ball, when the old magician suddenly seized him and pushed him into the boat. "'My grandfather,' said Owasso, "'pray take my little brother also. "'Alone I cannot go with you. "'He will starve if I leave him.' Mishosha only laughed at him. He then uttered the charmed words, "'Shame on pole!' and gave his canoe a slap, whereupon it glided through the water with the swiftness of an arrow without further help. In a short time they reached the magician's lodge, which stood upon the farther shore, a little distance back from the lake. The two daughters of Mishosha were seated within. My daughter, the magician said to the eldest, as they entered the lodge, I have brought you a husband. The young woman smiled, for Owasso was a comely youth to look upon. The magician told him to take his seat near her, and by this act the marriage ceremony was completed. Owasso and the magician's daughter were now man and wife, and in the course of time a son was born to them. But no sooner was Owasso in the family than the old manito wished him out of the way, and went about in his own wicked fashion to compass it. One day he asked his son-in-law to go out a-fishing with him. They started without delay, 
for the magician had only to speak, and off went the canoe. Soon they reached a solitary bay in an island, a very dark, lonely, and out-of-the-way place. The Manitou advised Owasso to spear a large sturgeon that came alongside, which with its great glassy eye turned up seemed to recognize the magician. Owasso rose in the boat to dart his spear, and by speaking that moment to his canoe, Mishosha shot forward in it and hurled his son-in-law headlong into the water. Leaving him to struggle for himself, the old magician was soon out of sight. Meanwhile, Owasso, being himself gifted with certain limited magical powers, spoke to the fish and bade him swim toward the lodge. Then, grabbing hold of the tail, he was carried along at great speed. Once he directed the sturgeon to rise near the surface of the water, so that he might, if possible, get a view of the magician. The fish obeyed, and Owasso saw the wicked old manitou busy in another direction, fishing as unconcerned as though he had not just lost a member of his family. On went the fish, and on went Owasso, till they reached the shore, near the magician's lodge. He then spoke kindly to the sturgeon, and told him he should not be angry at having been speared, as he was created to be meat for man. The sturgeon made no reply, or if he did, it has not been reported. And Owasso, drawing the fish on shore, went up and told his wife to dress and cook it immediately. By the time it was prepared, the magician had come in sight. "'Your grandfather has arrived,' said the woman to her son. "'Go and see what he brings, and eat this as you go,' handing him a piece of the fish. The boy went, and the magician no sooner saw him with the fish in his hand than he asked him, "'What are you eating? Who brought it?' The boy replied, "'My father brought it.' The magician began to feel uneasy, for he saw that he had been outwitted. He put on a grave face, however, and entering the lodge, acted as if nothing unusual had happened. Some days after this, Mishosha again requested his son-in-law to accompany him, and Owasso, without hesitation, said yes. They went out and quickly arrived at a solitary island, which was no more than a heap of high and craggy rocks. The magician said to Owasso, Go on shore, my son, and pick up all the gulls' eggs you can find. The rocks were strewn with eggs, and the air resounded with the cry of the birds as they saw them gathered up by Owasso. The old magician took the opportunity to speak to the gulls. I have long wished, he said, to offer you something. I now give you this young man for food. He then uttered the charm to his canoe, and it shot out of sight, leaving Owasso to make his peace the best way he could. The gulls flew in immense numbers around, all ready to devour him. But Owasso did not lose his presence of mind. He addressed them and said, Gulls, you know you were not formed to eat human flesh, nor was man made to be the prey of birds. Obey my words. Fly close together, a sufficient number of you, and carry me on your backs to the magician's lodge. They listened attentively to what he said, and seeing nothing unreasonable in his request, they obeyed him, and Owasso soon found himself sailing swiftly homeward through the air. Meanwhile the old magician had fallen asleep, and allowed his canoe to come to a standstill. Owasso, in his flight over the lake, saw him lying on his back in the boat taking a nap, which was quite natural, as the day was very soft and balmy. As Owasso, with his convoy of birds, passed over, he let fall a capful of gull's eggs directly in the face of the old magician. They broke, and so besmeared Mishosha's eyes, that he could barely see. He jumped up and exclaimed, it is always so with these thoughtful birds. They never consider where they drop their eggs. 
Owasso flew on and reached the lodge in safety, where, excusing himself for the liberty, he killed two or three of the gulls, as he wished their feathers to ornament his son's head. When the magician arrived soon after, his grandson came out to meet him, tossing his head about, as the feathers danced and struggled with the wind. "'Where did you get these?' asked the manito. "'And who brought them?' "'My father brought them,' the boy replied. The old magician was quite distressed in his mind that he had not destroyed his son-in-law. He entered his lodge in silence, and set his wits busily at work again to contrive some more successful plan to gain his purpose. He could not help saying to himself, "'What manner of boy is this who is ever escaping from my power?' But his guardian spirit shall not save him. I shall entrap him to-morrow. Ha, ha, ha! He was painfully aware that he had tried two of his charms without the effect, and that he had only two more left. But he now professed to be more friendly with his son-in-law than ever, and the very next day he said to Owasso, Come, my son, you must go with me to procure some young eagles. We will tame them and have them for pets about the lodge. I have discovered an island where they are in great abundance. They started on the trip, and after traversing an immense waste of water, at last reached the island. Mishosha led Owasso inland until they came to the foot of a tall pine tree, upon which the nests were to be found. Now, my son, said Mishosha, climb up this tree and bring down the birds. I think you will get some fine ones up there. Owasso obeyed. When he had with great difficulty got near the nest, Mishosha cried out, addressing himself to the tree, and without much regard for the wishes of Owasso, Now stretch yourself up and be very tall. The tree, at this bidding, rose up so far that Owasso would have imperiled his neck by any attempt to get to the ground. Listen, ye eagles, continued Mishosha, you have long expected a gift from me. I now present you this boy, who has had the presumption to climb up to your nests in order to molest your young. Stretch forth your claws and seize him. So saying, the old magician turned his back upon Owasso, and going off in the canoe, left his son-in-law to shift for himself. But the birds did not seem to be so badly minded as the old magician had supposed, for a very old bald eagle, quite corpulent and large of limb, alighted on a branch just opposite, opened conversation with Owasso, by asking what had brought him there. Owasso replied that he had not mounted the tree of himself, or out of any disposition to harm the birds, but that his father-in-law, the old magician, who had just left them, had sent him up, and that he was constantly sending him on mischievous errands. In a word, the young man was enlarging, at great length, upon the character of the wicked Manito, when he was interrupted by being darted upon by a hungry-eyed bird with long claws. Owasso, not in the least disconcerted, boldly seized this fierce eagle by the neck, and dashed it against the rocks, crying out, Thus I will deal with all who come near me. The old eagle, who appeared to be the head of the tribe, was so pleased with this show of spirit, that he immediately appointed two tall birds, uncommonly strong in the wings, to transport Owasso to his lodge. They were to take turns in conducting him through the air. Owasso expressed many obligations to the old eagle for his kindness, and they forthwith set out. It was a high point from which they started, for the pine tree had shot far, far up toward the clouds, and they could even descry from it the enchanted island where the old magician lived, though it was miles and miles away. 
For this point they steered their flight, and in a short time they landed Owasso at the door of the lodge. With many compliments for their dispatch, Owasso dismissed the birds, and stood ready to greet his wicked father-in-law, who arrived a few minutes after. And now, when Mishosha espied his son-in-law standing there unharmed, he became very black in the face, and raged horribly. But dissembling his feelings, and still professing great friendship, he pondered deeply as to how he might use his one remaining charm to the best advantage. While he was still considering this, Owasso and his wife, sitting on the banks of the lake one evening, heard a song, as if sung by someone at a great distance. The sound continued for some time, and then died away in a perfect stillness. "'Oh, it is the voice of Sheem!' cried Owasso. "'It is the voice of my brother, if I could only see him.' And he hung down his head in deep anguish. His wife witnessed his distress, and to comfort him she proposed that they should attempt to make their escape, and carry him succor on the morrow. When the morning came and the sun shone warmly into the lodge, the wife of Owasso offered to comb her father's hair, with the hope that it would soothe him to sleep. It had that effect, and they no sooner saw him in deep slumber than they seized the magic canoe. Owasso uttered the charmed words, Schumann Pole, and they glided away upon the water without need of oar or sail. They had nearly reached the land on the opposite side of the lake, and could distinctly hear the voice of the younger brother singing his lament as before, when the old magician awakened. Missing his daughter and her husband, he suspected deception of some kind. He looked for his magic boat and found it gone. He spoke the magic words, which were more powerful from him than from any other person in the world, and the canoe immediately returned to the sore disappointment of Owasso and his wife. When they came back to the shore, Mishosha stood upon the beach and drew up his canoe. He did not utter a word. The son-in-law and daughter entered the lodge in silence. The time, walking along, in its broad open path, brought the autumn months to a close, and the winter had set in. Soon after the first fall of snow, Owasso said, "'Father, I wish to try my skill in hunting. It is said there is plenty of game not far off, and it can now be easily tracked. Let us go.' The magician consented. They set out, and arriving at a good ground for their sport, spent the day in hunting. Night coming on, they built themselves a lodge of pine branches to sleep in. Although it was bitterly cold, the young man took off his leggings and moccasins, and hung them up to dry. The old magician did the same, carefully hanging his own in a separate place, and they lay down to sleep. Owasso, from a glance he had given, suspected that the magician had a mind to play him a trick, and to be beforehand with him, he watched an opportunity to get up and change the moccasins and leggings, putting his own in the place of Mishosha's, and depending on the darkness of the lodge to help him through. Near daylight the old magician bestirred himself, as if to rekindle the fire, but he slyly reached down a pair of moccasins and leggings with a stick, and thinking they were no other than those of Owasso's, he dropped them into the flames. Then he cast himself down and affected to be lost in a heavy sleep. The leather leggings and moccasins soon drew up and were burned. Instantly jumping up and rubbing his eyes, Mishosha cried out, "'Son-in-law, your moccasins are burning. I know it by the smell.' Owasso rose up, deliberate and unconcerned. "'No, my friend,' said he, "'here are mine,' at the same time taking them down and drawing them on. "'It is your moccasins that are burning.' Mishosha dropped his head upon his breast. All his tricks were played out. 
there was not so much as half a one left to help him out of the sorry plight he was in i believe my grandfather added owasso that this is the moon in which fire attracts and i fear you must have set your foot and leg garments too near the fire and they have been drawn in it is bad that you have none but let us go forth to the hunt the old magician was compelled to follow him and they pushed out into a great storm of snow and hail and wind which had come on overnight and neither the wind the hail nor the snow had the slightest respect for the bare limbs of the old magician for there was not the least virtue of magic in those parts of old mishosha's body after a while they quite stiffened under him his body became hard and his hair bristled in the cold wind so that he looked more like a tough old sycamore tree than a highly gifted magician but owasso remembering had no compassion and turned away leaving the wicked old fellow alone to ponder upon his past life owasso himself reached home in safety proof against all kinds of weather and the magic canoe became the exclusive property of the young man and his wife now to go back to the sister who had been left alone with sheem during all those years she knew enough of the arts of the forest to provide their daily food and labored with good will to supply the lodge she watched her little brother and tended his wants with all of a good sister's care but at last she began to be weary of solitude and of her charge no one came to be a witness of her constancy or to let fall a single word in her mother tongue she could not converse with the birds and beasts about her and felt to the bottom of her heart that she was alone in these thoughts she forgot her younger brother and almost wished him dead for it was he alone that kept her from seeking the companionship of others so one day she collected all the provisions she had been able to reserve from their daily use and brought a supply of wood to the door then she said to her little brother my brother you must not stray from the lodge i am going to seek our elder brother i shall be back soon she then set the lodge in perfect order and taking her bundle set off in search of habitations these she soon found and in the enjoyment of the pleasures and pastimes of her new acquaintances she began to think less and less of her little brother sheem at last she accepted a proposal of marriage and from that time she utterly forgot the abandoned boy as for poor little sheem he was soon brought to the pinching turn of his fate as soon as he had eaten all of the food left in the lodge he was obliged to pick berries and live off such roots as could be dug with his slender hands as he wandered about in search of the wherewithal to stay his hunger he often looked up to heaven and saw the gray clouds going up and down and then he looked about upon the white earth but he never saw his sister or brother returning from their long delay at last even the roots and berries gave out they were blighted by the frost or hidden out of reach by the snow for midwinter had come on and poor little sheem was obliged to leave the lodge and wander away in search of food sometimes he had to pass the night in the clefts of old trees or in caverns and to break his fast with the refuge meals of the savage wolves these at last became his only resource and he grew to be so little fearful of these animals that he would sit by them while they devoured their meat and patiently await his share after a while the wolves took to little sheem very kindly and seeming to understand his outcast condition they would always leave something for him to eat by and by they began to talk with him and to inquire into his history when he told them that he had been forsaken by his brother and his sister the wolves turned about to each other lifting up their eyes to heaven 
and wondered among themselves with raised paws that such a thing should have been in this way Sheem lived on until the spring and as soon as the lake was free from ice he followed his new friends to the shore it happened on the same day that his elder brother owasso was fishing in his magic canoe a considerable distance out upon the lake suddenly he thought he heard the cries of a child upon the shore he wondered how any human creature could exist on so bleak and barren a coast he listened again with all attention and he heard the cry distinctly repeated and this time it was the well-known cry of his younger brother that reached his ear he knew too well the secret of his song as he heard him chaunting mournfully my brother my brother since you left me going in the canoe ah he he i am half changed into a wolf e wee i am half changed into a wolf e wee owasso made for the shore and as he approached the lament was repeated the sounds were very distant and the voice of wailing was very sorrowful for owasso to listen to and it touched him the more that it died away at the close into a long-drawn howl like that of a wolf in the sand as he drew closer to the land he saw the tracks of an animal fleeing away and beside these the prints of human hands but what were the pity and astonishment that smote owasso to the heart when he espied his poor little brother poor little forsaken sheem half boy and half wolf flying along the shore owasso immediately leaped upon the ground and strove to catch him in his arms saying soothingly my brother my brother come to me but the poor wolf boy avoided his grasp crying as he fled nisia nisia since you left me going in the canoe ah he he i am half changed into a wolf e wee i am half changed into a wolf e wee and he howled between those words of lament the elder brother sore at heart and feeling all of his brotherly affection strongly returning cried out with renewed anguish my brother my brother my brother but the nearer he approached to poor sheem and the faster sheem fled the more rapidly the change from boy to wolf went on the boy wolf by turns singing and howling and calling out the name first of his brother next of his sister till the change was complete then he leaped upon a bank and looking back cast upon owasso a glance of deep reproach and grief i am a wolf he cried and disappeared in the woods End of chapter 12